ho, ho! Merry Christmas, friends and colleagues, and welcome to episode 121 of Dermosphere, the podcast by dermatologists, for dermatologists, and for the dermatologically curious. I am one of your hosts. My name is Luke Johnson Claus. I am a pediatric dermatologist and a general dermatologist with the University of Utah. And joining me, of course, is... Michelle Tarbox, the sometimes red-nosed Texan because I have allergies. <laughs> and of course, the pimping bell. We should have a jingle bell for today. The pimping bell highlights especially question-worthy content. And our mission here on Dermosphere is to update you with some of the latest research in the world of clinical dermatology. And today, being the last episode of 2023, is by long tradition, our Dermy Award episode. And yes, Merry Christmas and Happy Other Winter Holidays of your choice. Michelle, do you want to update our listeners about what the heck the Dermy Awards are? Well, every year at the end of the year, we take a long and wistful look back over all of the articles that we presented over the course of the year, and then we pick out, we handpick, in fact, and curate a collection of the most interesting, most practice-relevant, funniest, coolest, or grossest. That's right. So you have to have been discussed in an episode that was aired this year, 2023, to be eligible. And we have 12 Dermy Awards that we will present today. This kicked off in 2019, by the way. So you're welcome to look back at some of the previous winners. But before we get started, I have a couple announcements I want to make. One is that in March, the American Academy of Dermatology meeting is happening, barring pandemics or other unforeseen circumstances. And Michelle, you and I are both going to be involved in Resident Jeopardy. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've gotten to do that before, and it's one of the highlights of my meeting every year to see just how smart our young colleagues are. So I haven't done it before. It sounds like each program can submit a team of residents to compete in a Jeopardy-style event about dermatology. Exactly. So resident um, groups can submit to compete on the Resident Jeopardy competition to see who's got the most savvy and trivia-worthy team. And in past years, we've had great participation. It's been something people have really enjoyed, and I've always enjoyed being a part of it. Yes, so come join us for that. And then my other announcement is that I am going to start a CME educational experience. It's called, well, I've done this before. It's through a platform called Gathered or GatherEd, which is asynchronous, go at your own pace, connect when you want, but there are some live discussions and you interface with your colleagues and you learn this time about Perigo nodularis. So the group is enrolling now, can hold up to 15 learners. So we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to sign up for that. And then we'll kind of get rolling with it in January. We expect it to take a month or two. It's free. You get some CME out of it. If you need some CME, if you just want to learn stuff, you get that too. Well, Luke, over the past year, we have reviewed over 100 articles together. Dang. Is that not impressive? 100 articles plus, so actually 113 when I counted. And we've also had wonderful guests on the episode. We've had some special themed episodes, and we've had some great areas of focus. We sure have. But of course, only one article can walk away with the trophy for each individual category. So let's get to them. 
The first category is the coolest thing we learned, and the contestants for this category are most published findings are false with guest Phil Watkins, a statistician and scientist that helps us kind of understand some of the statistical measures that happen in background of studies. And one of the things that article brought to light was just how statistics can be manipulated and how much attention you have to pay to be sure that things are representative of the truth. UV nail dryers cause DNA damage with Dr. Julia Curtis, another guest episode about how those little Mercury vapor lamps in those nail dryers at the nail salons can emit UV radiation, which may be exposing patients to extra risk. Selenium sulfide for hyperkeratosis, where we talked about the fact that the common household ingredient of selenium sulfide that can be obtained in over-the-counter dandruff shampoos can be used in the leave-on matter for a short kind of mask application of 10 to 30 minutes, which can then be rinsed off and can improve hyperkeratosis. And finally, omega-3s help decrease the side effects of isotretinoin. So many of us know very much and, and love very well the medication that is isotretinoin because nothing quite works like it for bad acne. And sometimes the treatment's side effects can be limiting. So having other ways to overcome those complications can be very valuable. And the dermy goes to... Wait, do we want to present the runner-up first to build tension? That's a good point. All right. And the runner-up is... Most published findings are false with Phil Watkins, who did a wonderful job presenting some of the points of fallibility of different statistical measures in episode 110. And the winner of the 2023 coolest thing we learned dermy is selenium sulfide for hyperkeratosis from episode 119. In this article, the authors discussed how topical selenium sulfide could be helpful for hyperkeratosis for many different reasons, including anti-proliferative effects on keratinocytes. The chief authors, who are Drs. Phil Cohen and Cesar Anderson, presented case series to demonstrate the way that this medication can work to help treat hyperkeratosis. Congratulations, selenium. It's not often that an element wins one of our Dermy Awards. (laughs) Our second category is Most Zeitgeistian Article. Michelle, you speak German, at least sort of. What does Zeitgeist mean? So Zeitgeist, so Zeit is time and Geist is ghost. So it's sort of the spirit of the times, if you will. So we're looking for something that's very of the moment, very um, kind of au courant to discuss and highlight things that are going on in the world. You and I invented that word once upon a time, Zeitgeistian. So... (laughs) The, uh, in no particular order, or perhaps in chronologic order, the contenders for most Zeitgeistian article in 2023 are from episode 98, Niacinamide Riboside, Worse Cancer in an Animal Model. The lay press got a hold of this one and started producing articles with titles like Popular Dietary Supplement Causes Brain Cancer. TikTok has lots of info about atopic dermatitis, but at what cost? Also from episode 98. In episode 102, we discussed that insurance companies deny coverage to their patients. That was more of a journal, or not a journal article, but a newspaper style article or essay. And then in episode 115, we talked about visual racism in med school with Michael Birdsall, one of our members of Team Dermosphere, who was working on a project about the lack of diversity in some of our educational images. So the runner up is. Visual visual racism in med school with Dr. Mike, well, future Dr. Michael Birdsall. Very good, and thanks for your help. We are uh, in the process of revamping some of our curriculum materials. 
And the winner of the 2023 Most Zeitgeistian article is the one about TikTok. Yay! So what could be more Zeitgeistian than TikTok? So this was again out of episode 98. Authors include Sabrina Khan and April Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong's always showing up in these winners. So they evaluated eczema-related content on TikTok and found that people pay more attention to those that perhaps are not produced by healthcare professionals. And there's a lot more of those out there. So it's a call for us healthcare professionals to engage with our patients where they can be found, which may sometimes be social media. So we want to thank all of our colleagues that are active in the social media space, putting real, authentic, and helpful information out into the zeitgeist to help patients take the very best care of their skin. Our next category is one of our fun ones. This is coolest author name. Some of our colleagues have been gifted from their parents with very interesting names or by marriage. And so we like to highlight those as we're going through the year. Our first one is a lovely gentleman named Chris Risk, who actually had a article about avoiding needle sticks. So very apt name there. Um, yes, our next... I ran into Dr. Risk at the recent Houston Dermatological Society, and uh, he claimed at least to be pleased that we uh, used his name to make some puns, like if you don't have him as one of your authors, you have a risk-free article, and etc., <laughs> etc. I also like that a person whose last name was Risk was focusing on risk reduction. Our next author, if we're the potential coolest name, is Greta Maria Paola Giordano Atienase. Beautiful name. Uh, Arthur from the article Niacinamide Riboside, Worst Cancer in Animal Models. So again, in this article, they discussed, um, which the lay press got a hold of, the very specific niche uh, experiment where these were animals that were being tested for sort of in a metastatic model and those that had that supplement did worse. But there was a lot of... Um, overrepresentation and sort of oversimplification of that information in the lay press. Uh, the next category, that, sorry, the next contestant is Stephen Fishbane, the bane of fish, Stephen Fishbane, who was one of the authors on the Diphylocephalin safety article, a medication used to treat chronic pruritus in end-stage renal disease. Our next candidate is Zachary A. Zinn from the Dupilumab um, results in the less ADHD article that we covered in episode 108. And Zachary A. Zinn just has great alliteration in his name. Our next candidate is Bjorn Oivind Kvamen from the Botox Type B for Hydrogenitis Separativa article from 111. And our um, next one is Annika M.T. Van Linden Van Ness, just because that's a really cool, long, epic name from the article about tapering dupilumab frequency. And finally, in this category, there is Anton C. De Groot from Systematic ACD to Drugs from episode 118. And the runner-up is... Zachary A. Zinn with a name fit for a superhero or a character in a Harry Potter novel. I love the alliteration. I love all disease. It's a great name. And our winner in this category is Anton C. De Groot because I am Groot. Excellent name. Yes, I'm always a sucker for anyone named Bjorn as well because I once had a Dungeons and Dragons character named Bjorn. So good names all around. Good job, parents. <laughs> Our next category is Most Intellectually Interesting Article. So we focus on this podcast on bringing you articles that have practical applications that you can use in clinic tomorrow. And sometimes we talk about an article that's just interesting, but hopefully there's overlap. But the most intellectually interesting article um, is a 
already a cherry-picked group, right? Because we have to first decide you're interesting enough to talk about on this practical applied dermatology podcast. So our options are from episode 99, Aesthetic Patient Archetypes, where the authors divided aesthetic patients into several different archetypes. And if you identify that your patient has features of one of those archetypes that allows some better patient rapport, it might speed up the process a little bit and it allows you to better understand what your patient wants from you. From episode 105, A20 haploinsufficiency. I'm a pediatric dermatologist, so you know we love our genodermatoses. This is a recently described one that has features similar to Bechet's disease. In episode 111, we talked about the soluble interleukin-2 receptor and why perhaps you should care about it. It's a marker of inflammation, but there's a lot more going on under the hood there. And in episode 117, we talked about COVID and autoimmune disease. COVID no longer can win for most zeitgeistian articles. Thank goodness. But perhaps it could win for most intellectually interesting article. It turns out that patients who have had COVID have an increased risk of autoimmune disease showing up within the year following. So our runner-up for most intellectually interesting article is Aesthetic Patient Archetypes from episode 99. Also some great pictures in that one. And our winner for most intellectually interesting article of 2023 is the soluble interleukin-2 receptor. Why should you care? This was a dense article with lots of basic science into it in it that went into a lot of detail about interleukin-2 and its receptor and how they have different parts and they can fall off and parts of them can act as regulatory mechanisms to other molecules. The human body continues to be a wonder. And uh, just one quite intellectually interesting person themselves wrote this article, Jan Damoiseau from the Netherlands. So uh, great job and congratulations on your Dermy Award. Our next category is coolest image. So when we're presenting these, of course, we're talking about these um, articles and their different um, concepts that they present, but many of them have great figures or photographs to help drive those points home. And the candidates for this category are glowing mouse in niacinamide riboside, worse cancer in animal model from episode 98, patient outcomes in aesthetic patient archetypes from episode 99, Glowing peri-alar intertrigo in the peri-alar intertrigo article from episode 104. And narrow-toed shoes and the toe-to-toe sign in episode 112. And the runner-up is... The narrow-toed shoes and the toe-to-toe sign from episode 112. This was a very common-sense article about the fact that a lot of shoes are not actually foot-shaped, and that sometimes causes problems with the feet or the nails at the ends of the toes. And the authors made the suggestion that to help demonstrate to the patient why potentially they might have some compressive or traumatic changes in their nails is to actually take their shoe off, turn it around, put the toe of the shoe up against the toe of their foot, and show them how much narrower narrower the toe box is on their shoe than their actual foot is. I'm partial to this article as well because toe box, tar box, they sound very much like each other, of course. So that was our runner-up, and the winner is, are you sitting on the edge of your seat, Luke? I'm sitting on the middle of my seat, Michelle. The middle of his seat, from the very middle of his seat, it is the glowing mouse from the article about 
niacinamide, riboside, and cancer risk. So this was actually a model that used a luciferase enzyme expression test to help demonstrate their point that the niacinamide riboside could potentially aid cancer cell survival. Now, importantly, again, this was a mouse model that was actually studying metastatic cancer. So it wasn't that it gave wild type mouse mice an increased risk. It was something very specific designed to look at the vulnerabilities specifically of patients who have a malignancy. And I think that the point that the author's intention here was that sometimes these NAD infusions are targeted towards people who have difficult to solve medical problems like cancer. And those patients might actually be at increased risk for a poor outcome from these infusions. So this is something to bear in mind if patients are seeking alternative medications or treatments. They had a diagram of how they developed this fluorescent probe to identify the molecule. And so they had a little picture of a cute little cartoon mouse and a little syringe next to it. And then there was a little picture of that mouse with a yellow glow. It was just cute. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, probably a lot of these mice were sacrificed for science. So uh, we'll pour (laughs) one out for our furry brothers and sisters who help advance our scientific knowledge. Mm -hmm. All right. What's cooler than coolest image? I guess nothing can be because it says coolest image right there. But we also have a category for grossest image, which, of course, is a high honor in the world of dermatology. (laughs) And listeners, I know you probably want to see pictures. This is a podcast, though, so I can't show them to you right now. And I think due to copyright issues, you probably can't actually post them on our website or our social media. So you'll have to chase them down yourself. But it's worth it, at least for the coolest images. For the grossest image, you'll have to decide for yourself if it's worth trying to track it down. So our options here are contenders. In episode 97, we talked about congenital disseminated pyogenic granuloma. Looks a little bit like a bunch of infantile hemangiomas, but they're a bit grosser looking. They're kind of gnarlier. They're a little bleedier and crustier. Take a look if you want. In episode 105, we talked about A20 haploinsufficiency. I mentioned that that one's like Bechet's disease, and there are some images of mucosal and skin lesions that are kind of gross. I mean, we're fairly inured to gross-looking things compared to the normal people, Michelle. Am I right? Oh, absolutely, yes. It's hard to gross out a dermatologist. I remember in medical school, I was a second-year medical school studying for step one or something, and I was sitting at my table, eating breakfast, looking through the study materials, and I got to the part on hemorrhoids, and it was like, here's our external hemorrhoids, internal hemorrhoids, here are some pictures of them, and I was just like eating my cereal, thinking, okay, that's what hemorrhoids look like, and then I realized that a normal person looking at pictures of buttholes while eating breakfast would be (laughs) kind of unusual, perhaps. Anyway, another (laughs) potential contender for this category is from episode 120, there uh, was a picture of a resected colon in the article interleukin-17 blockers carry a small risk for IBD. We're not used to looking at colons, either resected or not, in the world of dermatology. So that one was sort of striking to show up in, it wasn't actually in the dermatology literature, but show up in an article that would be of interest to us. And in episode 102, grossest mental image it was insurance de- companies denying coverage because it's pretty gross to think about all those smug, rich suits hanging around smoking $100 bills while their poor, poor clients suffer. Yeah, and that, that one, in fact, very... is the runner-up. Uh, congratulations, insurance companies denying coverage uh, for your grossest mental image award. But go ahead, Michelle, you refuted that one in the episode. 
Yes, and I think one of the striking things in that was these were actually documents that were obtained through the legal process. So a patient who had been systematically denied medications to treat his severe inflammatory bowel disease was able through the process of discovery due to a lawsuit to uncover the background communications between different agents at his insurance company where they were speaking with quite significant contempt and mockery over this person's life and their suffering about um, how they were going to drag their case on and not pay for their treatments and how much money they were going to save the company and things like that, really callously giving disregard to this humanity of this individual. And I think that bringing that kind of um, aberrant behavior in the part of insurance company leadership to the fore is absolutely necessary to help improve and correct the um, inequity that is propagated by a system that allows for individual decision-making not based off of medical science or need, but only based off of uh, internal rubric and flowcharts to determine the quality of a human life. Certainly important journalism to bring that to people's awareness. And I think it's also important to point out that this is insurance companies and the people in them kind of acting at their worst. I have certainly met people who work for insurance companies who are good-hearted and do have their patients' best interests at heart. And I like to think that that's the most common type of person to work at insurance companies. But uh, this other stuff is out there too. And it's, I think, probably not related to humans. This is a bit of a digression. But, you know, there's not really a lot of truly bad people out there, but humans respond to incentives. So I think the incentives in our system kind of can push people in that direction in certain circumstances. Anywho. The winner of the grossest image is that resected colon from episode 120. (laughs) If you want to see a diseased colon outside of a human body, take a look at that article. Our next category is most pimpable article, a category near and dear to the pimping bell's little heart. I guess it's clever. Uh, Occasionally we have people listening to this podcast who aren't as immersed in medicine as we are, Michelle. And mm-hmm. so they might not know what, what pimping means in the world oh, of medicine. Yes. This is very, actually, I have a very funny story about this. I was seeing a patient in my office who was a uniformed police officer with all of the accoutrement, including his service weapon. And without thinking about it, I said, all right, now I'm going to pimp my resident. And then I turned to pimp to ask the resident a question. Then I realized what I just said and immediately turned back to this uniformed police officer and said, no, 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 no. Not like that. Not that kind of pimping. Because I realized exactly your point that not everybody understands what we mean when we say pimping. Pimping is a very strange phrase that we use to describe asking questions of medical students and residents in their learning situation. And it's a very strange um, term. It was it was, it's an old term, and it actually uh, kind of maybe have arisen from the German word pumpfrage, which means to pump questions, meaning like you have a speedy cadence of questions where you ask student doctors, um, and it's just part of the Socratic method of teaching. And the candidates for the most pimpable article are menopause and dermatology. This was a mini-series, the menopause mini-series, the pause for the cause for the menopause mini-series. And this aired in episodes 107, 108, and 110 and covers the way that the skin as an endocrine organ responds to the changes of menopause. Natraceuticals for hair growth. This was episode 118. Systemic allergic contact dermatitis to drugs from episode 118. And UBA1 variants and Vexus syndrome from episode 
episode 111. And the runner-up for most pimpable article is... The Menopause Miniseries, Menopause and Dermatology, where we discussed the ways that skin as an endocrine organ responds to the changes of menopause. Estrogen is very important in help maintaining the integrity of the skin. It's very important in wound healing and is even sometimes used as a wound healing agent. And the changes that can happen to the skin and genitourinary mucosa in menopause can be partially reversed with very simple treatments such as topical estrogen. Topical estrogen can actually save lives in elderly women. It decreases the risk of urinary tract infections and helps improve their quality of life. And the winner for the category of most pimpable article is... Natraceuticals for hair. So the evaluation of natraceutical or nutritional supplements for treating hair loss, a systematic review by authors Laura Drake and Arash Mostagami et al. discussed the treatments that you can use to help with hair loss and the evidence behind them. And they found the best evidence for the following supplements, Veviscal, Neurokin, Nutrafol, um, Pantagar, Isoflavone, Omega-3 fatty acids, Apple Nutraceuticals, and zinc, tocotrienol, which is a bioavailable form of vitamin E, and pumpkin seed oil, which has DHT blocking properties, as well as micronutrients that are good for hair growth. It was a very pimpable article and an area of interest that is kind of burgeoning in our field. If you are on any social media platforms, you're probably overwhelmed with a relative barrage of new hair loss supplements every day. And so looking at the evidence, I think, in this category is very important. Our next category is one of my favorite categories. It's called Article Most Helpful in Daily Clinic. Our goal on this podcast is for like every article to be helpful in Daily Clinic. That's our driving force from the world of Dermosphere. So the article Most Helpful in Daily Clinic is indeed an honor. And our contenders are from episode 99... Ideal buffering of lidocaine is in a 3 to 1 ratio with bicarbonate rather than the 9 to 1 ratio that we normally use. I have made this change in my practice. I mix up the bicarb in this ratio now. In episode 102, we discussed the palm. Perhaps you learned that the palm might be 1% of the body surface area. Does that wither without fingers? What's the data behind it? Well, again, with the help of Team Dermosphere member Michael Birdsaw, we looked into this, and it turns out that the palm is about half a percent of the total body surface area in an adult and about 1% of the body surface area in a child. There's some more detail there if you want to listen to episode 102. In episode 116, we discussed an article where for injections for alopecia areata, intralesional triamcinolone, if you mix the triamcinolone with lidocaine slash epinephrine rather than with saline, you might get better results. Another change that I have made in my practice. And in episode 117, we learned that omega-3 supplementation can help alleviate some of the xerotic side effects of isotretinoin. And again, I recommend these for my patients on isotretinoin now. So good job, everybody, for coming up with so many articles that are helpful in daily clinic. Mm-hmm. And our runner-up for this category is mixing intralesional triamcinolone with lidocaine slash epinephrine for alopecia areata. Woo! Of course, only one of these articles can truly be the winner. And that article is the palm. Half a percent of the body surface area in an adult. So again, uh, we discussed this in episode 102. And this article was actually published a little while ago in 2013. So long overdue for its Dermy Award. Congratulations to Dr. Rhodes and Dr. Clay and Dr. Phillips. 
All right, the next category is study I wish I had thought of myself. So the candidates in this category are ideal buffering of lidocaine, a three to one with bicarb. I thought the design of this study was very elegantly done, and it's something that can immediately improve practice. Systemic tacrolimus in dermatology. This article out of episode 117 was a very well done review on the different uses of calcineurin inhibitors, tacrolimus, and voclosporin for off-label dermatologic conditions, including psoriasis, atopic dermatitis and eczema, pyoderma gangrenosum, chronic urticaria, and Bechet's disease. The randomized controlled data was reviewed and demonstrated that in comparison to cyclosporin, tacrolimus can be considered for treatment refractory disease in patients with cardiovascular risk factors or inflammatory bowel disease, and vocalosporin has only been used in psoriasis, but could be also considered for patients with lupus nephritis. And the winner in this category of study I wish I had thought of myself is memantine for trichotillomania and skin picking. So skin picking and trichotillosis can be very difficult things to treat. The article in this particular case reviewed the use of memantine, which is a medication typically used to treat things like dementia. It's a glutamate modulator, and it was found to be significantly more effective than placebo, reducing hair pulling or skin picking behavior from an order of magnitude of 60.5% of participants in the memantine group demonstrating much or very much improved status versus only 8.3% in the placebo group. Very well done studies by authors John Grant and Samuel Chamberlain. You talked about the methods for the ideal buffering of lidocaine. Yes, the ideal buffering of lidocaine. I thought that those methods were very well done and it was quite an elegant study. But you didn't talk about how it was also funny. Well, I'll let you do that. Injected people's forearms with these various concentrations and then zapped them over and over again with a laser every 30 minutes and had them report whether or not it was painful. So I like that. <laughs> and it's it'd be a great study because you get to play with a laser like Dr. Evil, which you'd maybe have to do to repetitively poke people in the arm and shoot a laser at them. But it worked very well. And I thought that they did a really nice job demonstrating how they did the study. Yes, and thanks to the volunteers for participating in that one. Our next category is the Audience Choice Award. So thanks, audience members, for voting on these. Uh, The way that I decided who the contenders would be is I looked at our top episodes from over the past year, and I picked out the article that I figured would be the one that people would think would be deserving of the award within that um, episode. So the contenders here were from episode 96, Isotretinoin Improves Neuropsychiatric Outcomes. From episode 101, What Happens When You Discontinue Psoriasis Biologics. From episode 103, Nicotinamide Doesn't Work in Transplant Patients. And from episode 104, Biologics for Guttate Psoriasis, which, as I think you mentioned, was also a contender for a study I wish I had thought of myself. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thanks to the members of Team Dermosphere, specifically Jordan Easterling, who I believe posts these polls up on our social media. And thanks to everybody who voted. So the runner up for Audience Choice Awards is What Happens When You Discontinue Psoriasis Biologics from Episode 101. The answer is that usually the psoriasis comes back, but in like 10% of the patients, it didn't. And as we might guess, the biologics with the longest half-lives, which means those that require less frequent dosing, took the longest time until the patient's psoriasis indeed returned. And the winner of the Audience Choice Award, Dermy 2023 is 
isotretinoin improves neuropsychiatric outcomes from episode 96. This was indeed a really good and important one. Uh, published in the British Journal of Dermatology, I believe, where they compared patients who are on isotretinoin with control groups, acne patients who are on topicals, acne patients who are on systemic antibiotics, people who just weren't on anything, and found that the people who are on isotretinoin actually had a lower incidence of neuropsychiatric outcomes compared with a lot of these other groups. So I mention this to my patients and their families all the time these days. I say, you know, black box warning about depression and suicidality. There's been a lot of research into that. And in my opinion, the latest and best research shows that in most people, the opposite happens. Their mood improves while they're on these medicines, maybe because their acne is getting better. But I also tell them everybody's different. So if you're on these medicines, we'll always ask you about your mood and we need you to be honest with us. Our next category is Most Impactful Article, and the nominees for this category are Isotretinoin Improves Neuropsychiatric Outcomes from Episode 96, which Dr. Johnson just finished talking about. It was a very impactful article. I quote it all the time as well. You know, TMP. I never call you Dr. Tarbox, Michelle. I know. You I don't know why Dr. I did that. Johnson sometimes. I think it's because you're used to calling your residence doctor somebody or other as a sign of respect, which is very nice. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I want I want to make sure that their hard work is honored and that they're um, also recognized as physicians in front of the patients. I always try to make a point of very gently reminding the patients that my residents are physicians because sometimes they'll say, oh, you're helper or whatever, but they're, they're, they're doctors and they need to have their title used. So my apologies. Luke just explained <laughs> isotretinoin uh, improves neuropsychiatric outcomes from episode 96, so I won't go further into that one. Our next candidate for most impactful article is Bactrim, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, and ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome. So this is one of the other naughty tricks that Bactrim can pull. We all are kind of a little wary of Bactrim in general because of its proclivity for causing complex drug eruptions and Stevens-Johnson syndrome or toxic epidermal necrolysis. But there's yet another reason to give Bactrim a little epic side eye, which is that it can cause acute respiratory distress syndrome and otherwise healthy young adults or adolescents. And so the article that we reviewed actually described five previously healthy adolescent patients who developed acute respiratory failure while taking Bactrim. And four out of the five Adolescents actually required ECMO, uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation support, and unfortunately, two of those teenagers died. Um, all of those children required a tracheostomy, and they were all complicated by pneumothoraces and pseudomediastinum. So any kind of respiratory problem in a patient who is on Bactrim should be taken very seriously. Unfortunately, several of these patients were turned away from the ER or sent home when they presented with their initial complaints of distress breathing. And so this represents an opportunity to help catch the complication of ARDS sooner in association with Bactrim. And actually, one of the patients who passed away's mother, who's an advocate for understanding and literacy around this space, contacted our podcast to thank us for highlighting this. And we were very grateful for her willingness to communicate with us. So that was a very impactful article. And then Jack inhibitors for HS out of episode 116, which discussed the utilization of this new class of medications for the treatment of hydronitis suppurativa with good effectiveness and low side effects. And finally, resistant tinea from trichophyton endotiniae. Trichophyton endotiniae is not something you want in those toes, though, because it is resistant to terbinafine. It is a tricky little fungus, and it can so pseudospeciate as trichophyton rubrum. So you need to let your lab know if you're looking for this. If you have a patient who you've been treating with proper 
terbinafine and they're just not responding properly. They can be misidentified, my apologies, as trichophyte and mentagrophytes. And so this is something to pay good attention to and be aware of. And the winner for the most impactful article. You mean for the, the runner up? Sorry. And the runner up for the most impactful article for the 2023 Dermy Awards is Jack Inhibitors for HS from episode 116. This was a very well written article that discussed the utilization of this new class of medications for the treatment of hydrodenitis superativa. I'm so grateful that there are more medications being looked at to help treat this very complex and difficult inflammatory disorder. It's actually one of the, I think, most morbid conditions that we treat and one of the things that can have the biggest effect on quality of life. And one of the nice things about utilizing the Janus kinase inhibitors in the management of HS is that they were very well tolerated. Upadacitinib specifically, which is a Janus kinase 1 selective inhibitor, was the one that was studied in this presentation. And these patients all had moderate to severe HS and they tolerated it well. They did all have some transient elevation of their creatinine kinase, so that is something to be aware of and to monitor for, uh, but the patients did tolerate the medication well and had good therapeutic efficacy. And the winner for the most impactful article of the Dermy 2023 awards is trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole and acute respiratory distress syndrome. So this is a very important potential complication of the use of Bactrim to be aware of. Any patient that is prescribed Bactrim in our clinic gets a handout that describes the potential presentation of early toxic epidermal necrolysis, any acute respiratory distress syndrome, or complex drug eruption. So they know to take those symptoms seriously and seek emergency care as soon as they start to notice those symptoms or signs. Now, probably there's not a lot of patients who are being prescribed trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole there are in your dermatology department. Almost none. So I do think this is also something for us to be aware of as our community partners might prescribe more of these medications and to help highlight the side effects and risks to them. Yes, distressingly, I think two or three of the patients in that case series were bes- prescribed this medicine for acne. And I think most dermatologists are not doing that. But this is an opportunity for us to educate our pediatrics colleagues, our primary care colleagues about the best ways to treat acne, which generally does not include trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. So I think as you pointed out, Michelle, if the publication of that article or even perhaps our discussion about it on the podcast can save at least one person from this side effect, then it would certainly be deserving of the most impactful award. All right, one award left, listeners. The best overall award for 2023. We got lots of good options here. So in episode 96, we talked about isotretinoin improving neuropsychiatric outcomes. It's been in a few categories now. Could it take home the best overall trophy? In episode 100, we had a departure from our normal thing because we were in Hawaii for the Hawaii Dermatology Seminar and interviewed a number of the faculty there, so we called it Insight and Wisdom from the Hawaii Derm Faculty. Should that win the award? (laughs) In episode 106, we talked about digital minimalism. This was a publication, I believe, from the AMA that gives people some advice, people, doctors generally, some advice about how to reduce the digital footprint in the EMR, for example. So a lot of very practical tips that you can use to try to make life a little bit easier on yourself every time you open a patient chart. And in many episodes, in fact, in episodes 96, 98, 99, 106, 107, 108, and 120, 
Dr. Steve Feldman was kind enough to join us on the podcast to discuss behavioral economics and how it relates to patient care, especially in the world of dermatology. What a year it has been, listeners. We've had such good contenders for best overall. And this year, instead of a runner-up, we're calling it a tie. Two winners for best overall. The insight and wisdom from the Hawaii Derm faculty and the inestimable Dr. Steve Feldman and his contributions to the podcast. So the Hawaii Derm faculty spoke to us in episode 100, and they included Peter Leo, Linda Steingold, Natasha Mesenkovska, Alok Patel, Michael Kaminer, and Larry Eichenfield. And they provided a lot of thoughts about how dermatology has changed in their careers, advice for new dermatologists, residents and medical students, and advice for how to treat patients. A uh, lot of great stuff there. Take a listen. It's in episode 100. And Dr. Steve Feldman, uh, we just saw him last episode. Spoilers, I think we're going to see him in the next episode as well. Talks to us, very generous with his time, about how to use some of the principles of behavioral economics to best nudge our patients in the appropriate direction to improve their medical condition. So thanks, Dr. Feldman, and thanks to all of the Hawaii Derm faculty, and congratulations on your well-deserved Dermy Award. And of course, the real uh, winners are you, listeners, and Michelle and I, and the Pimping Bell as well, because we get to keep doing this, and it's a whole lot of fun. So that'll do it for today. Thanks to our institutions, of course. Thanks to the University of Utah for supporting the podcast, and thanks to Texas Tech for lending us Michelle. Thanks also to all the members of Team Dermosphere. I mentioned them a couple times during this episode, but we've got a team of medical students who help us out with the podcast. Thanks very much to Morgan Dykeman, Nagi Kuseki, Eleonora Marcacci, Michael Birdsall, Angie Wong, Laura Dela Cruz, Jordan Easterling, Austin Callister, and Nicole Babkowski. Among many other things, they keep our social media moving along. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us on YouTube and View Medi. We have some video content up there now, so take a look. View Medi, you've got to log in, but I uh, promise it's worth it. You can also find us on our website, dermospherepodcast.com, which has links to all of the original articles that we discuss. It has links to our entire archive. So if you want to go back and listen to any of these episodes that we discussed today, you can do so right there, as well as wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. If you want to give us some money, perhaps as a little end-of-the-year tax write-off or something, you can do so through the University of Utah. You can find a website to do that at uofuhealth.org slash dermosphere. Also, as a reminder, every month the University of Utah Department of Dermatology has an echo session over the lunch hour, the second Friday of every month, where you can come and listen to a quick little lecture from one of our faculty, get some CME, and present some of your cases if you would like. Also, Michelle and I are going to be hosting Resident Jeopardy at the AAD meeting in March. We'd love to see our resident listeners there. And if you want to learn about Parigo nodularis under my supervision at your own speed, you can do so for free through the GatherEd portal. We'll put a link to the show notes in there as well. If you are a resident physician and you want to compete in Resident Jeopardy, look out for that opportunity on the AAD registration website and in your emails. The Resident Jeopardy session will take place on March 9th at 1 to 4 p.m. And that'll do it for 2023, guys. We'll see you in 2024. Woo!
Michelle, mm-hmm. that was a shorter than normal episode, so we got a little bit of extra time. I thought I would put a little nugget here at the end, mm-hmm. which is that on the air, we can go over our Spotify wrapped. Wouldn't that be fun? Ooh, that would be fun. I love this idea. So, uh, listeners, you might not be aware that we use a platform that used to be called Anchor to distribute the podcast, but is now owned by Spotify. That was like a year and a half ago they bought it. So we get this, like, Spotify wrapped for podcasters thing, and I haven't looked at it yet this year. But here, we could do so all together live. Isn't that fun? Woohoo! Okay, so it's loading, loading, Loading. Michelle didn't know this was coming, so I did uh, not. This is a total for dropping this on you. you. I'm very excited about it. I, I think it something came over you. That's wonderful. Okay, so here we go. So it says in 2023, people were really, really feeling what you do, but it doesn't have <laughs> like a, a statistic on that one. Okay, ready? Let's take it from the top. It's got Woo-hoo! colorful graphics and stuff here too, listeners. Okay. I'm trying to advance here. Do I click on this? <laughs> okay. Our top episode was 104, which included biologics for guttate psoriasis, secukinumab for HS, perialar intertrigo, acne-associated angiofibroma-like papules, and new melasma treatments. It was streamed 567% more than our average episode. Wow. Huh. What do you think we did right in that episode, Michelle? That's was a good the question. secukinumab article? I think that it was just, I, I personally think it was the perialar intertrigo. Very, it's hot, so hot right now. Hmm. Well, listeners, if you have opinions, please let us know. We would like to do more of what you want. That's the whole purpose. All right, it says, let's hear it for the new fans. Who are our new fans? Woo! 75% of our listeners discovered us in 2023. Well, that's exciting. Really, I'm surprised about that. I figured most of our folks listening would be like longtime folks so uh yeah welcome everybody glad to have you here tell tell all your friends keep it up <laughs> if, if you like us if you don't like us just stop listening and uh don't don't post any reviews <laughs> and, and keep it to yourself <laughs> uh and it says seven percent of our new listeners started with our very first episode episode oh, one wow i actually met a resident on the interview um kind of list that is in the 98th percentile of our listeners luke did Solid. you know that Spotify hands out like little awards to people for that too. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. Those of you who are in those upper echelons. Uh, we love it. We love you all. <laughs> How does it feel to have gone global? We were streamed in 67 countries. Wow. The United States was our top country, as we might guess, which was only 63% of our total streams. I figured it would be more in the, like 80. Huh. Wow. It says we have the most new listeners in the following five countries, the United States, Canada, Australia, Germany, and the United Kingdom. Unsurprisingly, those where English is most commonly spoken, except Germany, edging out the United Kingdom. Yeah, we can say Dankeschön to our very nice German listeners. Es freut mich, Sie kennenzulernen. Yeah, this that is why they listen nice in Germany, because of you, Michelle. Exactly, you know, das ist sehr gut. Das ist sehr toll. Sehr, sehr toll. It says our listeners' top podcast genres. Okay, so this might only be for people who listen through Spotify, which is Mm -hmm. quite the minority of our listeners, actually. But apparently it can identify what kind of podcasts they listen to. So uh, you guys already know what you listen to. But apparently what 
I'm discovering is that you listen to health and fitness. Not nice. surprising. That's probably where we come into comedy. Makes hey, sense. We try to make some of that happen. And news. news. I personally try to avoid knowing about the news. It just makes me <laughs> angry and frustrated. Uh, you guys like to listen to pop, rap, and rock music. Cool. Good for you. Nice genres. No country. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Come on, Texans. <laughs> Step it up. Um, oh, people are sharing the podcast. That's fun. So they share via text was the number one way to share it. Then through WhatsApp, mm-hmm. direct link, Instagram, and then uh, others. Thanks for sharing the podcast, guys. Really appreciate it. However you like to share it, just keep doing it. Oh, our most shared episode was Doctor Nine or episode 96 with Dr. Steve Feldman on behavioral economics. Woo, Steve! Uh, there were also discussions of hormonal IUDs and androgenetic skin conditions, acquired ichthyosis review, isotretinoin improves neuropsychiatric outcomes. Yeah, what a good episode. A, Great episode. A good choice to share that one. Mm-hmm. Our podcast rating was 5.0. Out of? Out of 5.0, I'm pretty sure Woo! that doesn't actually say it. It's like, you know, five stars. Everybody who's posted has given us five stars. Thanks, guys. That's I think you guys. This is a labor of love, so we really appreciate that. Uh, we grew 60% in followership, 60% in or in listeners, 60% in streams, and 70% in followers this year. Hey, awesome. Yay. pretty solid. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm. It says, give a shout out to your biggest fans. Uh, We are a top 10 podcast for 1,517 fans. Wow. Thanks, guys. That's wonderful. We're so grateful. Top five podcast for 1,027 fans. That's exciting. We're so grateful that people listen because the the first um, half year, at least, that Luke and I were doing this, I was pretty sure my dad was the only person listening to us. So it's really nice to have our colleagues listen and learn with us. This is a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Thanks very much for listening, guys. I feel like we've hit the same statistic through different angles. It says 59% joined you for the first time this year. Very nice. And then it says, let's zoom out. And as we, you know, as we learned with, with Phil Watkins, you know, statistics can be presented in multiple different ways, but hopefully these are not lying to us. That's right. Uh, behavioral economics is kind of all about that, too. And it says, thanks for sharing your podcast with the world. You're welcome, Spotify for podcasters. And uh, I guess that's the end. Hooray. All right. Yay. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Thank you, Luke, for going through that. I appreciate that. And thank every one of our listeners for listening. You know, we really appreciate the opportunity to listen and learn with you and to try to find better ways to take care of our patients. And may 2024 be even better for all of us. Best to you and yours. Happy holidays and a happy new year. Mm-hmm.